What's up? Welcome to Build. This is Maggie. Today I have John Fan on the show. John has been in product for a long time. He's currently the VP of product at Benchling. Before that, he was a VP at Box. He's founded companies. So he was the perfect person to help me dig into what I'm beginning to see as one of the hardest parts of product leadership, and that's planning. It's not as cool to talk about a strategy, but without a plan, there's no way you're going to get any of that shiny strategy out the door. We get into the messy reality of trade-offs, compromises, dependencies, and tools that we've both seen actually work in the wild. I hope you enjoy it. John, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's good to be here. Yeah. So I'm really excited about today. We're going to get into something that is definitely on the surface, the less cool sibling to product strategy, and that's planning. But honestly, without a plan, I think it's actually impossible to achieve goals or make progress on that strategy. I also think it's kind of harder in some respects because it's one thing to craft a perfect strategy and another to actually make it happen, which is where planning comes in. So John, where I'd love to start is, what do you think are the hallmarks of a good planning process? And what's your framework or process for going from strategy to execution? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I'd agree with you, Maggie, just on the, um, it's the, the less glamorous part of being a product manager, mm-hmm. but, but absolutely the key thing to actually getting something out the door. Um, and I think the, the interesting thing for like thinking about how you map from strategy to execution really is however large your team is, just making sure the team is aligned on the goals kind of across that team. And that there's a lot of shared context on here's what the strategy looks like. Here's what we're going to do and why we're going to do it. Obviously, as, as we're talking about here, how do you then craft that as a, a delivery to actually have a, a plan there that works through that? Right. So then I'm curious, like, maybe if you could describe what actually your planning process is looking like at a certain number of people, then how that's changed, like that could give us a, a place to start. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so if I think about a planning process when you're I don't know, an engineering team of say 20 or something like that, or engineering mm-hmm. product and design team of 20, you can all fit in one room. <laughs> the entire team right. is in one room. And often you can plan around the whiteboard and maybe you take like a picture of the whiteboard and that becomes your plan or you just leave that whiteboard up. I think the hallmark of that a little bit is at that size, the team, or even if there's maybe two or three teams in there, generally own enough surface area that they are in control of their own destiny. So they're not really relying on other teams. Everybody's able to share that context and move in the same direction. If I compare and contrast that a little bit to you know a much larger team, so today at Benchling, we're a team of about somewhere north of 100 people inside of engineering product and design. It's many more scrum teams, as you might imagine, and trying to actually line up how everybody works is, is just a lot harder because you're trying to march generally in the same direction, but everybody's got a different area of the, the product, so to speak, that they, they can see and work on. And you, know, you have sort of that split that starts to happen between, say, a platform team and an application team. And so you have to then make sure that those teams are working in the same direction. Right. And one question I have is, I mean, I've, at Drift, I've been through planning when the whole company was 80 people and now planning when the company is 400 people. I've definitely lived through this as well. And one of the things that I'm curious about is as the team's scale that you work on, how do you create that balance between autonomy and making sure everyone's running in the right direction? And is there an aspect of like how you plan that helps coordinate that without being like the trap I feel this like pull towards is just waterfall, go ship this thing because it's the simplest way to get teams to do something that's coordinated. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is the the feel that a lot of teams as you get larger start to feel like because it is difficult to line up many teams. And so I think there's, there's a few pieces that we think about as we, we think about 
planning and really it goes even further back into uh, almost into that org design and how do you line up the, the engineering and product teams no org design is perfect but you know right. it's, it's all about <laughs> what you want to optimize for right and so when we think about execution we think about how do we like line up the product and technology architectures such that it allows teams to have as much degree of freedom as they can to execute and so you might have a team that starts to look a little bit more full stack when it's the the team that you want to make sure is running relatively unimpeded. So we are, I would suppose, less wedded to our exact team structures at any given point in time because we want to optimize for for some of that delivery and remove some of the, the waterfallness, as you say, of, uh, of that process. Yeah, we're the same way. We have pretty much all of our teams are operate independently from one another in terms of their ability to execute sort of end-to-end on the thing that they own. And what I think that's increasing is the burden on planning because then we have to say, okay, we also tried to prevent any dependencies or prevent as, as many dependencies as we could between the teams, which means you have lots of teams working independently and autonomously on a set of problems. And then the question is, well, how do you make sure that those teams are coordinated? So what have you been done or how do you think about how to give like that coordination, especially let's say we're doing like a quarterly planning or something. How do you help the team like break that down? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a, you know, a really good one across an entire set of teams as well. And there's a, a few things we do. And I would say like, this is definitely an area where we continue to tinker and experiment mm-hmm. between planning cycles as we find things that, that we like and don't like. So I, I would say it probably has varied at every organization I've been in, but there's a few common principles I tend to see here. One is one of the key things is, is there's a, a bit of a tops down nature to the process, which is Roughly, what are the the big swim lanes or goals we want to get done in a given time period? That might be a quarter, depending on your planning horizon, or it could be a year. These are the things that you say, hey, it's not like a hundred different things, but it's one, two, three, four things that you're trying to get to, and that each team can then look at is okay. Well, this is directionally where we need to head, and how does my area that I'm working on fit into that, making that impact in the product and for the company? So that's maybe one, which is that sort of what I would just call like the umbrella kind of guiding principles there. Mm -hmm. A second one, which I've done more recently, and I would say has been something I've resisted for a really long time, but I think now that I've tried it, there's a power in it, if you use it correctly, is creating a stack rank list of priorities for a given quarter. And then, you know, I've been updating that on a rolling quarterly basis. And the goal of the list, you know, I I kind of just, because it's a nice round number, tried to keep it to like a top 10 is not to fully plan out execution for everybody so that uh, a team just looks at it and goes, oh, okay, I, I see uh, within this top 10 that just kind of orders all of my backlog. But it's more to provide guiding principles when there are dependencies on a given team and they maybe have multiple dependencies from different teams. For us, we're a little bit more integrated, so we don't uh, the teams don't run quite as independent of each other. With that, what it does is it's a guiding sort of default set of tie breaks for if you're working on priorities, you know, four, five, and eight, it kind of tells you, okay, we'll go get four done first and five and then eight in your planning. So it helps the teams kind of get to an answer a little bit faster without having to thrash or, you know, for us to have to debate or go back and forth on it quite a bit more. Mm -hmm. So that's probably the second principle. And then the third one, in addition to, you know, kind of thinking about that umbrella and then the stack rank list is having what I call like a local area mission for each team. And allowing the team to, from the bottoms up, also look at, you know, they're closest to the problem space they're working on to say, hey, here's what we think we need to work on relative to, there's a top down umbrella view, but also we have the, the bottoms up view of like, we're close to our users. And this is what we see as, as also being critical to work on. 
And so our planning process ends up being the reconciliation of maybe those three things, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And I think that's something that we are working on as well. And yeah, I think, again, if anyone has figured this out, I want to know because I feel like this is just the constant, you know, every time we feel like we get it right, then it breaks. But I think the balance between, you know, what's happening on the ground, what are we hearing from customers, what's going on with the technology itself, what do we have to, to do, and feature requests and all sorts of other inputs that we have. And then, like you're saying, the umbrella view, sort of like, where are we trying to go? What's the mission? And then there's that kind of like, I think what, what gets interesting to me about the planning is that's how I see all these things kind of smashing together and like, you figure out what to do, right? Because it's like, that's that mission critical moment where you decide, okay, from all these inputs, like how are we going to move forward? And I think that's the thing that I'm realizing the more I work on strategy, it's like at some level, the strategy is kind of easy to say, well, this is where we should go. But then it's like, well, how the heck are we going to get there? Right, exactly. And I think having that strategy as the guide makes a lot of sense. And then like you say, how do you break it up into more digestible chunks for the team, both from a delivery perspective, like an iterative delivery, but even just who's working on which pieces of that right. vision is absolutely the case here. When you're talking about the the stack drink list of priorities, we have to talk about, you know, whether we're talking about features or outcomes. So how do you think about that dichotomy for the team? And I've definitely had people on the show with different opinions and I've gone back and forth. I want to live in an outcome world, but sometimes it doesn't feel practical. Like how do you handle that question? Yeah, absolutely. I <laughs> I think it is definitely like I go back and forth on this a bunch. So I don't know that I have like the definitive answer here. But I would say I tend to lean toward the outcomes being measured, not in a planning execution process, but in the sort of key results that we want to deliver at the end. And so that's a little bit, I leave it maybe to some degree as a implementation detail in that the level of the stack rank is not go, you know, write this specific component in this way. But it's more, hey, we need to get to, it's also not on the other end, hey, we need to have, you know, X number of customers using this thing on this date. Right. It's more in the, we need to have a component that satisfies this kind of use case. And so it's somewhere in the middle, which is maybe not as satisfying an answer, but I think it, it ends up being really helpful on the stack rank side because the stack rank is really about communicating to primarily and first the EPD teams here's the things we care about. And and it needs to be at a sort of in the language, if you like, that is closest to what they're building, right? So if I were to talk in terms of outcomes, I think it wouldn't be directive enough for the team to have a sense of, okay, we need to satisfy it in this way. And then maybe on the flip side, we also use that list to communicate to the go-to-market teams. Here's what we're building and in what order. Uh, And so you'd also don't want to get too into the implementation detail because you're trying to communicate to the field. Here's roughly how we're thinking about the set of things we want to deliver to our customers and how we then might go and market or sell and support that. And so having it being tuned into details doesn't allow those teams to sort of use that list either. Right. And I think what I'm realizing is maybe when we say outcomes, I wonder if there's a bit of a, of that, we have this phrase that we got from a woman named Molly Graham about black hole words. Mm -hmm. And I think outcomes I'm realizing is a bit of one of those for me, because you're right. I don't think I've ever gone, and maybe this is a B2B thing as well, but I haven't really gone to a team and said, we need to get to X customers. Really, the outcome that we almost always talk about is we want this customer experience. We want to solve this problem. We want to tackle this opportunity. 
And I think that's the level of detail that I, I at least have found so far to be more helpful because then it, I don't know how we're going to do that, but I know, and that's up to the team, right? Because they're the ones who are going to do all the discovery and figure out actually what the product needs to be. But at least if you can say like, this is the space that we need to own or play in or solve for, to me, that feels like a, like a better way to do it. What do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's like a level above, like at the ground level, it's sort of like you're implementing a feature, but maybe you don't know the context of why, right? And so having this view, as, as you say, I, I think really provides the, this is what we're trying to get done. And, and maybe not how we're going to measure it specifically, but this is the sandbox if you like that we want to play in. Yeah, because I've always found that, or at least, I mean, opinion of one here, but I think that when when someone talks about outcomes and planning with outcomes, and you know, it's something like, oh, well, we need to grow our user base by X, or we need to grow ARR by Y. And it's like, well, there's an unending number of ways that we could do that, but like, where are we going? And let me find, let me, I need two things. I need to know like, why are we here? What's our mission? And that that's what we need to do. And then I can come up with something interesting. But I think without that context, it's kind of like, I can't, I don't even know where I would start. Yeah, exactly. I think that's absolutely right in terms of just Maybe it is a little bit more for us a B2B thing, but it definitely feels like exactly the context that's really required to deliver impactful products. Right. So you mentioned an- another thing a little bit about sharing with, with the go-to-market team, which of course I have to bring up roadmaps. So in your planning process, like how does the does a roadmap show up, if at all? And like what form does that take? And like how are you using that to help the team get from, okay, here's our strategy and the opportunity we want to tackle to, you know, this is what I'm going to go execute on today. Yeah, it's the, the eternal question, I suppose, yeah. is in the, the <laughs> yeah. interface between go-to-market and, and the, the building function. So we do have a roadmap and, and what we've decided on, and it, it's kind of an interesting question because we've been having this debate a lot recently, mm-hmm. which is kind of to the question of waterfall and maybe what stage a company that you might be at. It can feel like planning a year out is almost like creating that waterfall for yourself because exactly. you're signing up. Yeah. To deliver something which, frankly, in an agile world, you probably haven't really sized and scoped to the detail that would warrant putting it with high confidence four mm-hmm. quarters from now. And so we've tried a few different things. And I, I would definitely say we don't have the the answer for ourselves yet, much less for, for anyone else. But we do share that one-year roadmap. As part of it, what we've done is rather than share everything we're working on, we try and highlight the big swim lanes and themes that we're mm-hmm. working on. So you can expect us to be investing in, in an area around how you manage your processes, right? Or or what have you for us, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with Benchling. And so you, you then end up with a, a few core themes that you're trying to get done through the year that can help kind of alleviate a little bit of the determinism of, okay, well, you said, you know, two quarters ago that you'd have right now this very specific feature <laughs> that I asked you for, right. right? Which can be really hard. We've tried that. I think another thing that we do as well is kind of look at the upcoming quarter or two as the ones where we're saying, hey, we're, we're really committing in a hard fashion to deliver these on time. So you can you know, sort of take these to the bank and our customers want to be able to plan around what we're releasing so they can adopt it. So you do, you know, there's a good reason to do that as well. But the upcoming two quarters may be a little bit more confident and the, the back two quarters, maybe we either provide a little less detail or more of a directional sense of what we think will be here so that we're not kind of locking too many things in stone too early. That's Basically, what I've heard over however many times I've asked this question of different people, I think that's where almost everyone lands. And what's funny is that everyone kind of feels the same, from what I can tell, the same level of like, ugh, I don't think I really got this right, but this is the best we could do. 
So I think everyone, at least everyone I've talked to has the same kind of like, this is what is working, but I think there's maybe a better way, but we don't know what it is. And I think that comes back to what we were talking about before, which is how do you balance giving enough context and description and detail for it to be useful with not locking yourself into something that you don't know how to do and just balancing all those different stakeholders and all those different inputs without just saying, I don't know, we'll wait and see. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think to some degree, rather than throw our hands up in the air on that as well, you know, the thing we try to do is we do this in our planning process, actually say, well, maybe we're not going to have like the full on product spec done for a feature four quarters from now. But can we write down like sort of the core things we're trying to get done? And maybe, you know, during our planning process, we try and do a very high level sizing of things. So we at least know, hey, this is architecturally, we're going to have to rewrite everything. So it doesn't really make sense to say we can do that in two quarters or what have you. And on the other hand, you know, this is something we we think, hey, we, we know kind of how we need to get there. It's just more we need to actually sit down and do the work. Yeah. And so that gives us at least a directional sense of where we're, we're at. You know, we've been pushing really hard at, what are the details at a not super fine level of detail for things that are further out in the roadmap? So at least we know on a rolling basis where mm-hmm. we're at. It ends up compounding on itself then. It's like a one-time cost to do that for planning <laughs> for mm-hmm. a year. And then kind mm-hmm. of be, we're planning every quarter as, as most folks are. And, and so now when you hit the next quarter, you've done a little bit of the, the work, the homework for the quarter coming up because you've done a little bit of that thinking. So it can be at least somewhat helpful as long as you build enough time into the planning process. Yeah, I think that's that's one of the interesting transitions I've seen from early stage finding product market fit to post product market fit scaling is how to move yourself ahead as a PM team, how to go from a little bit of just-in-time delivery because you're iterating really quickly to make sure you figure out where what your customers need and love and want to once you figure out what that is, okay, now we know where we're going. How do we start to get further ahead? And I think it's that's been a really interesting transition to see. And it's been really hard to plan, to shift ourselves to plan more like that. I definitely underestimated like how hard it would be to kind of like move a whole PM org earlier. Right. One area I'm curious about, because we, we've been playing around with this a little bit and I'm curious what you've seen at Drift. Mm-hmm. We've been thinking about also explicitly carving out that planning time in our quarterly engineering schedule to say, hey, we are going to spend mm. X amount of time and actually acknowledge that you know we, we do want to do a little bit of higher level sc- or maybe deeper scoping on a small subset of things. And so maybe it's not a whole sprint, but we might take part of the team for a sprint toward the end of the quarter to say, let's do a little forward planning. Yeah, that's really interesting because I think there's a balance between, I think there's there's two things wrapped up in this that we've been talking about, which is who does it and when when does it happen and so i think we're big enough where we have almost enough people at the like engineering manager group pm type level or like design lead level where there's a group of people who can do that work kind of at the level that we might we might want it to be done without totally derailing or like needing to take a to take a sprint off of the I mean we don't work in sprints but like whatever the team who's doing the day-to-day development so I think that's the group that we that's almost big enough now that we're trying to say okay let's do that and I mean we're doing it right now because our quarters are sort of one month off because our fiscal fiscal year starts in February so we're just about mid quarter for our Q1 and so we've started to say okay well like what what does that look like and I think the thing that we're trying to do is is not just what are the new things we want to build, what do those look like roughly, 
But we're also trying to say, okay, well, then what's the next set of problems we want to solve? And at the same time, what are the technical initiatives we would want to do? And I think like getting, we're trying to get better at making sure we have that information to feed into our planning process. I think it's easy to, to kind of skip over that. So that's one thing that we're doing. But I think that group is really starting that process now. And I would say that's one of their primary tasks. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think it's, it's a direction we're, I think, heading ourselves on that. And just to your point, having the right size group where you can take a, a few people offline to go do that versus uh, while continuing to, to build right. at the same time makes a lot of sense. I think the thing that was hard for us back in the day or when we were smaller is that it never feels as important as the thing that is currently happening. And what I'm noticing now is that it's like defending the time because it's so important to spend that time, especially in product. Your whole job is to understand like what's going on in the market, what's happening with you, you know, your competition, your customers, your strategy, all that stuff, and to have an opinion about where you want to take your product. And if you don't spend the time to do that research, and honestly, I think to like let it sit in your brain and you need that kind of like creative time you're never going to be able to have a good answer to that question you're asking about like, what does it look like? And roughly how long is it going to take and all that kind of stuff. I see it really as like a time management problem in addition to a, you know, who should do it problem. Yeah, totally. And and I think it's also at the, it depends to your point on the stage as well. I think early on in the company, you're wondering if, you know, are we going to be here next quarter? (laughs) We're going to be here in six (laughs) months as the company grows and you're fortunate and you're like, okay, what about a year? And, And I think probably given, you know, Benjamin is roughly the same size as Drift uh, in terms of number of employees where, you know, hitting that stage where it's like, okay, in the last year or so, we've really thought about where do we want to be three years from now, right? And then you start to really want to think about how do the pieces fit together to get there? And it is a deliberate motion and change management, frankly, in the planning process to say, we need to create and explicitly carve out that time to say, let's think about where we want to be, what bets do we want to take, which things we're now in the, the place where you can try two or three things that may or may not work, right? And so what's the hypothesis? How are we going to get there? And how do we test it without planning those pieces? It's really hard to, to then execute on anything because you don't really know, to your point, what impact or where, where you're headed. Yeah. And part of that is also, as part of your planning process, to think about, and this is something I've learned in the last couple of years, to think about like the allocation across those things. So not just planning out what you know you want to do, but also thinking about your plan in terms of a portfolio, right? So where are we making, where are we carving out resources to make some riskier bets? Where are we investing in something that we know is tried and true and we have to keep running on? And like, that's also an interesting discussion because I think you could also have when you're, when you go into plan your quarter and you go into say, okay, well, we have these priorities. Why would we invest in product A when like product B is on fire? And it's like, well, we have to defend our investment in product A because we think that's the future. We like we need to be investing in our future. And so that's another aspect of planning, which is like, how do you make sure you're allocating your resources? Right. With that, I think it's it, there's a couple pieces in there, right? It's sort of alignment with leadership across the team on sort of like, I think of new products and existing products as the whole company motion. So if you're going into a new area, but say sales or marketing or, or support or, or what have you isn't ready to do that, you know, the obvious example or the one where where it always is, is super clear is, okay, we want to go into internationally into another area. Do we have the localization of the product, obviously, or internationalization, but also, you know, are we set up to support people in that, in that uh, time zone comes up as well. And so 
some of those investments are super clear and like, okay, everybody needs to be lined up across the company Mm -hmm. for that. And so I think when we think about, so to speak, those version ones of new features, that can be making sure that there's alignment across the company. And then at times it might say, hey, actually, like the the thing we want to do is maybe not completely turn off that new innovation, but we want to focus a little bit more on on the products we have and generating those version twos of those new of those features that are out there already because they've been in market a little while. We're finding that hey, either renewals or even new business, our newer customers are expecting a little bit more depth of this feature, uh, and so it does end up being a an ongoing conversation with your customers and with the company internally to just make sure everybody's kind of lined up and moving in the same direction um, as you plan out which thing to focus on. And that can shift from quarter to quarter. Yeah, absolutely. So taking a bit of a setback, when you think about, you know, going into a planning process, what are the high level steps that you go through? And then I, I think the next question I'm going to ask is like, where do people go wrong? Like what are the, as over your career, like what are the tips and tricks that you've learned and the pitfalls that you know to avoid that someone who is maybe newer to product leadership, who's trying to figure this out, like should know about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think in thinking about this in terms of like the execution of the planning process, right, is is one of the big things. I would say probably only crystallized for me in the last couple months, really. It was something I did when I first got to Benchling, but didn't really know why. I think one of the key things to do that I found really helpful is to have a product operations team that along with your maybe your program management team is partnering to run the planning process as a product, if you will. And so like we think about that and we're kind of iterating on that as a product quarter over quarter and taking feedback from the product managers, the engineering managers from go to market on how the roadmap output worked. Really treating it like, hey, we've got to like we're going to continually improve this process. Before you move on to play that back, that means plan out exactly like what your planning process is and then do the process and then check back in on it as if you're getting feedback on your product. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And at the size that we're at as well, it's sort of the thing where having consistency in the presentation of the information is pretty important, you know, because if one team is measuring things on one sort of resource capacity and another one's measuring on a different one, it's really hard to then reconcile what are we actually delivering at the end of all of this? Because I've got to convert in my head. One team's using points, another one's using sprints, the third one's using like engineer points. How do I figure out what what is it that I just signed up that we're going to do? It can be can be a tricky conversation there. So I think that's like maybe point number one is having somebody kind of run the planning process like a product. The second thing I found that really helps is probably even more so in a completely you know work from home world is writing everything down. So we actually have teams do pre work coming into it. So we used to sort of just have folks show up with like a rough kind of outline of here's here's what we're planning to do. And that actually worked pretty well as we were smaller. As we've gotten larger, the documents we write for planning end up being a way for us to communicate between teams because you can do it a little bit more asynchronously. So you can read a different team's planning doc, especially if it's one where they're like, hey, I have a dependency on this team or you might have a dependency on them. And it gives you a sense of what are they working on? What are the key things on their plate and, and um, where you might fit into that? So you have a sense of like as a product manager on a different team, if I'm relying on this team for something, should I actually believe that that's going to happen or not in a given quarter? So writing everything down helps. It also helps with the rate at which we're growing and adding employees for new members of the team on the engineering and product side to then be able to catch up on all the context. And so investing a little bit of energy and writing everything down versus it being sort of just a conversation alone is really helpful as well. I think we just started trying to get more specific about that exact thing, which is not only writing things down, but also 
what are the set of questions that we have to have answered to go into planning? So of course we would want to have a quote unquote strategy, but then also what are all the other questions that, that need to be answered, you know, about customers, the product, the technology, the market, the competitors, stuff we talked about earlier, regardless of format or medium or whatever, just at least having that data and that information in a place that people can read, I think is like a massive step forward than like you're mentioning the earlier stage, kind of more ad hoc, like these are the things that I think we should do type of thing, which totally made sense when we were smaller. Yeah. And you mentioned something really interesting there, Maggie, it is sort of like the, the data around it as well. The other thing we do, so we have like, we write everything down into document form, but then the actual output of our planning process is an air table that just lists everything we're working on for actually for oh, the whole, well, in detail for the quarter, but then even the like three quarters or four quarters out is all kind of listed in there. Okay. And so I'll tell you what's really interesting about that. As you put this together, you get a view of what you're working on, but we also then have various fields in there. One of them is that stack rank list. So it's like, Hey, this maps to item number whatever on the list. And then also there's like an estimate of engineering effort required to execute on that item. And so at the end of the process, I can actually sit down and look, where are we investing? So I can kind of check on that V1 versus V2 question. And are we actually directing energy toward the things we said were our top priorities? So there's like a feedback loop between you create this thing and then you get to check it to say like, is this actually going to create the outcome, the like overall outcome that we need as a business? Right. And that actually ends up being the maybe the other lesson in our process. We've actually created an initial commit and a final commit so that we can put together the initial view, look at this investment profile, make sure we're investing in the right places and adjust, and also resolve dependencies between initial and final commit. Oh, I So like that, that lets us sort of plan a whole bunch of different things at once, reconcile it all, and then hopefully get into a relatively smoothly executing quarter <laughs> based <laughs> right. on all that. So I have to ask, the cells in the Airtable, like how prescriptive are those about like what the team is going to build? How well understood do you think the solution has to be at that point? For the upcoming quarter, relatively well understood. So there should be a relatively detailed product spec written for anything we're planning to execute in the coming quarter, or at least in the first half of that quarter, to be fair. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I would expect the given quarter where we are generally thinking, hey, if we put it on this list, we're at the point at which we made the commit just prior to the quarter starting, we're planning to have it done. And so we have like relatively high confidence. The things that are two, three, four quarters out, you know, those are medium to lower confidence. Those estimates have wide error bars on them. So when we look at the air table, often I'll cut it between current quarter and overall year. Because the current quarter estimates are going to be much better than the overall year, just by the nature of how much planning we've done for the current quarter. Right. Yeah. And I I think stepping back, I I mean, I love the first commit and final commit. But I think what's interesting is that I think it's easy to, to listen to us have this conversation and say, this is a lot, right? There's so much that goes into these steps and getting it right and getting like the docs written and all the stuff happening. But I really tried to take the view that this is like to be successful as a product manager and especially as a product leader, like you have to figure out how to get this right because this is the way that you like get it done. And it's just so interesting to me because we had that conversation when we were sort of plotting out the show, the sort of cool, sexy thing is product strategy, but it's like cool strategy, but did you execute on it at all with any level of predictability? So this stuff, again, I think has just become so much more important to me in my career because I, it feels like the way that you actually unlock that value. Right. I mean, this is the homework to do to yeah. actually get to the, the fun things about being a product manager, I would say. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
Okay, so I guess my last question would be any other advice for product leaders, especially who are getting into this kind of thing and find themselves responsible for planning and, and, you know, trying to make things predictable? What's your top advice that you would give? Yeah, I think for me, it's probably three things here. What we were talking about earlier, I think being willing to experiment, treat it as a product, kind of iterate cycle to cycle, particularly Mm -hmm. if the company is changing a lot as you're doing this. I think it helps to kind of adapt and mold the process as you grow and, and take the feedback in. I think the second part is having a, you know, it's not a big team, but a team of folks who think about that planning process to help you scale as a product leader, because there's a lot of the nuts and bolts of like, what's the template and, you know, what's the schedule. And, you know, when we go and we present, how much time does each team get to present and talk through what they're working on? Mm-hmm. How do we work back plan from everything? And so having, having a product ops and program management team that helps drive that actual cadence really helps a lot and is thinking about it. And the third one, we didn't chat about quite as much, but I think the other piece is to some degree, the planning process and the roadmap process are in service of not only your customers, obviously, but the rest of the organization, particularly you know on the B2B side. So you know, taking the temperature and, and figuring out what's the right output and feedback you get from the go-to-market teams on what you're shipping, when you're shipping it, you know, what you're focused on, I think can help dictate the content of that planning cycle in addition to the, the schedule of it. Yeah, I love that last one. And and again, this probably is a little bit more B2B focused, but I think seeing that team not as consumer of whatever the output is, as in going to sales, I mean, like, this is it, no questions. I think, especially in between maybe the the commit and the final commit, or I would hope earlier on the things that are getting in the cells of the air table, running those by sales and saying, like, is this going to work? Can you sell this? Do you buy this pitch? Like, hey, marketing team, like, how does this feel to you? I think that they're such a great source of feedback. And I think getting their buy-in as as early as possible is is so important and can be such a cheat code. Yeah, absolutely. I think cheat code is exactly the right way to, to describe it. Awesome. Well, John, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom on planning. Hopefully both of us will let everyone know if we ever figure out exactly what the silver bullet is, but I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. No, I appreciate the time, Agnes. It was a great conversation. 